0: Hello and welcome my friend to season two of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. I am just so honored to have you here with us today. In this season two of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast, we are going to take a deep dive exploring seed starting spring gardening and growing your own meals. In these nine episodes, we'll take you on a journey from discovering treasure troves in the Smithsonian to a masterclass in seed starting to planning for preserving your harvest. And you can find all of these episodes and links to the items we discuss in each episode at minnesotagardening.com. So please also do me a favor, if you find and love the Minnesota Gardening Podcast, leave the show a positive rating and review wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, because I could not be more proud of how this season turned out. and I just want to say a quick thank you before we get started to all of our incredible guests there are nine episodes and it was a lot of work and i love every single one of them and so our incredible guests our awesome collaborators our generous teachers who helped to make this first full season released on the first day of meteorological spring happen so that is wonderful and please make sure to subscribe to the minnesota gardening podcast wherever you listen to podcasts because season three will be coming out soon and there may also be some bonuses to season two Enjoy. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have another great episode with two wonderful guests. This is the first time that we've had multiple guests on a single episode here today for the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And today we have two wonderful people from Dream of Wild Health. It's a 10-acre farm north of Hugo here in Minnesota. And we have with us Hope Flanagan, who is from the Turtle Clan. And she is an elder who teaches about plants and wild plant gathering. She is also a storyteller in the native community. And then also Jessica Greendeer is the seat keeper and farm manager at Dream of Wild Health, and is a Ho Chunk tribal member from Baraboo, Wisconsin, and member of the Deer Clan. So, Hope and Jessica, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, and thank you for this opportunity to visit with others and, and show the same interest in plants and the understanding of our connection to them, or the the valuing of connection to them.
0: Absolutely, I just appreciate your time and everybody being here. So Jessica, could you start out and and tell everyone what uh, Dream of Wild Health is and what the what you guys do at the farm and what your about your mission?
2: Yeah, <clears throat> Dream of Wild health, you know our mission is to restore health and well-being in the native community by recovering knowledge of and access to healthy indigenous foods, medicines, and lifeways, And I did want to mention that we are now a 30-acre farm. We have been on our 10-acre farm for about 15 years, and we just recently, well, last year, purchased another 20 acres that will be growing into some agroforestry as well as an incubating farmer program.
0: Wow, that's very exciting. 30 acres is a, is a beautiful thing. So that's great. Sorry, I got that wrong (laughs) wrong in the intro there. But with, with that hope, what do you, what do you feel is the work that Dream of Wild Health does and how does it connect to your community? Oh,
1: what a wonderful question. Yes. Well, there's such an important connection for our young people too. We've, we've always connection of growing seeds and growing leaders because just for us to hold this knowledge is, isn't enough. We have to make sure young ones are receiving this information and able to, to grow with what we're finding out and what we're seeing as we continue to see what the plants are bringing to us and what the plants are giving giving to the people.
0: I was doing some research and looking around to see what, we, what would be best to talk about today and one of the most beautiful things that I read was from one of your campers. She's 15 year old Ava Hartwell and it was in the star tribune. And she said, the rule is that you don't work in the field. If you're having a bad day, you will spread negative emotions in the plants. And I absolutely loved that. So can you talk a little more about how you're teaching and the importance of making sure to carry on the tradition of indigenous plants here in Minnesota? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I can get started with that. You know, so what we're talking about at Dream of Wild Health is how we're in relation to not only the plants that we're stewarding or growing in the gardens, but also the native plants and including the life of the soil and within the soil. So we're talking about being in relationship to everything in our ecosystem. You know, we I often tell the youth about, about our indigenous seeds being like babies. And I think many gardeners can also relate to that when we're thinking about the, the young seedlings or seeds that we're starting in our gardens and how we baby them, um, and bring them along. And then we transplant them and sort of, you know, they're in that walking phase at that point, but they're, we're able to witness their entire life cycle within a season for many of our annual plants. So, um, thinking of all of our thinking of all of our plants as babies or as children it helps sort of create a calmness within each of us you know we have to get into that special place and be able to set that aside so we can give our full attention and energy into the plants that are around around us so that's one of the aspects of what we talk about with our with our youth and i think so many of the youth do have that complete change within them when they have to You know, I, I too have to remind myself to sort of center myself before I come into the garden because it's not just a place where we grow things. It's a place where there's a spiritual connection and a spiritual relationship brought in between humans and plants hope i don't know if you have anything to add to that well oh, i I would love to because uh, you you've hit the nail on the head so beautifully
1: Jessica when I do an introduction or one of the ways I've always heard introductions is you say when you say this is who I am and in the end you say niji but and that means our fellow living beings and that means you're not just talking to the humans but you're talking to the plants, the insects, the soil, Mother Earth, the sun, you know, all the living beings that in in our paradigm, I guess is the way to say it. They were here before us. They're our elders. It's almost like it—it's turned upside down from how this society might see it. And that in this society, sometimes we think we're—we're we're really knowledgeable and in charge. But in—in in our stories, in our traditional way of being, we're the newcomers, and we're not the elders. Our elders are the ones that were here before us, which includes the stars, the soil, Mother Earth, the insects, the plants, and we're here because of their kindness
0: and how do we and how are you helping to educate and and teach or i guess a better question would be are you working to educate and teach folks outside of your your community and things like that like what what kinds of things do non-native folks need to know and should know about indigenous seeds and indigenous plants and that kind of growing growing them aspects
1: I would like to start on that one. I think if we, could ch- if we can challenge this society's paradigm and say, remember, we are the newcomers. That without the little organisms in the soil, without the soil itself, without those beautiful seeds, without the plants, we don't exist at all. I mean, we're the last ones. But in our minds, the, in, in even in the traditional legends, they say we're the cranky get here and we think we know all that and we know very very little because we're (laughs) the last ones here so if we can start to reshape and think without those insects in the soil without the gosh nematodes and all the little biome that's in the soil we don't exist you know if we don't honor those plants if we don't honor and thank those plants if we don't live in harmony with them um we don't we're not going to continue. I spoke to i, I mean i'm i'm sixty four years old, and I spoke to my elder this morning just to just to get i always talk to her to get charged up, and she said the same thing that as she woke up this morning, she was thinking about you know like we've got to make that harmony in our own beings so that that we they don't have to put up with our nonsense
0: <laughs> and just in general, gardening is such a great. Thing for that for, for connections with the soil and connections with the plants. And Jessica said, as you were talking about, I had to laugh about calling the little plants babies because that's exactly what we do in our house. There are babies and, and both of my daughters, they, they check on the babies and make sure that they're doing okay for us. So it's uh, a very wonderful connection that goes, that goes through there. And another point of connection with native plants and indigenous plants is that We've been looking through and we got in our house a Sean Sherman's sous chef cookbook and was going through that. And it was like a lot of the recipes and a lot of the things in there are have ingredients that are just completely currently inaccessible and not able for me to just go to the store or anything like that to get. And so we want to grow things that we can are able to use the cookbook this coming summer. So what, um, thoughts do you have and how how could a non-native person like me get best accomplish that with because there's to make corn flour and different things like that what what advice or what thoughts do you have as to how I should or we should approach that process
2: yeah that's a great question Brad so i have two two thoughts about that one you know, even if you are non-native, there is ancestral land that you reside upon and you grow and live on. And so in recognition of that, I think it's, that would be okay to grow ancestral seeds of the land that you, that you live, work and play on. And then the, you know, the other side of that is, you know, there are so many indigenous seeds that, are not available commercially. And so it's very difficult to connect with some of those seeds or purchase some of those seeds. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing with seed rematriation is finding where those seeds are. Some of them are within institutions, museums, uh, land, land universities, so many, so many different hiding places. And so a lot of the work that we're also doing is trying to find those seeds bring them to Dream of Wild Health to grow, and also share them back with their home communities. Um, You know, the indigenous seeds that we do grow at Dream of Wild Health are connected to many of the tribes of the Upper Midwest. So that stretches from, you know, what is now known as Michigan through Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and of course the Dakotas. I also want to mention that you know it's you know it, indigenous foods. I think there are so many people who don't understand what indigenous food or maybe where they come from. But if you think about our solanaceous plants and potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, chilies, corn, beans, squash, all of those originated from the Americas before they were taken to different places around the world. And so I think it's also very important for people to understand what their ancestral background. You know, like we're. Able Able to at dream of wild health give a voice to those indigenous seeds that we steward and it's also important that we don't forget about all of the other ones who are who are out there and looking for their people too and for us to connect with so thinking of you know our different legumes or even carrots or beets and thinking about where they came from in the world and if that you know, if that is part of your ancestral background, I really encourage you to find find the seeds that your ancestors ate. It's not about the seeds that your grandmother ate, but what your grandmother's grandmother ate. And I think the world would be such a different place if we were all able to connect with our ancestral seeds, be able to grow those and help increase the biodiversity of the open pollinated seeds that are still out there waiting for a good human steward to take care of them.
1: I'd like to add to that, too, is that so much of what's right here, right now, is interconnected. So an example of that is that the soil is, is, there's still things in the soil waiting for plants to come back. And as we know, if you plant a native plant in your garden, it's going to be more available, bioavailable to the insects, to the birds, to any other animals that might near be nearby. A great example of that is just uh, this past weekend, I was working with the Shakopee tribe and they were so happy that they had made space. For the wild rice to return, and because the wild rice had returned to one area, then the muskrats were able to return, and then with the muskrats returning, then the um, northern harriers, the certain types of hawks, those in the rough-legged hawks were able to return. So, nurturing space, making space for those living beings that have been here, that multiply the effect of life—life life that's been here—that that ha, you know, was here for thousands of years to recognize that. So part of it is for humans to be outside, spend time with those plants, and develop a connection with those plants and seeds and the soil itself. So we know that if we're going to be able to have access to nutrition, our bodies have to be in tune with what the nutrition is in the soil. So we're trying to match that, whatever that biodiversity that's in the soil can match what's in our gut. So it's so important for us to be able to be in contact, put your hands in the soil, walk in the woods, be in contact with with what's actually out there so that we can learn to protect it and respect it and realize the incredible value that all those other beings have on this life plane.
0: I had gotten in touch with my friends at Washupi in order to talk to them for the same reasons why we are talking today and they said no thank you you guys need to talk to uh, Dream of Wild Health <laughs> so they sent me Aww. sent me your direction as well, uh, well so we they did, are we do have a connection with
1: their biology team that I'm really grateful that we're working with their biology team because they're looking at not just restoring and counting we, we did the first ever reservation wide count at Shakopee this last Sunday. So uh, for birds, and they were saying, "Well, let's do it for plants. Let's do it for insects. Let's start really looking and valuing our relatives and the different the different forms that they have. Respect them, and they can make a space for them to return.
0: You can add to that list back in. I don't remember if it was March or April. I live just right outside of the Shakmi, Milwaukee and Sioux community. And they, there were just a bunch of sandhill cranes that were hanging out. And that was the first time that I've ever seen sandhill cranes within our area here. So it's exciting to see a lot of that by investing in native communities and native plant communities to see having those things happen, just like you were talking about. So that's a wonderful thing. Jessica, I'd like to circle back a little bit. You, talked a little bit about rematriation of seeds. And I find that absolutely fascinating. I hadn't really thought about the fact that a lot of the indigenous seeds need to be found and re I don't know if rediscovered is a terrible word to use for that, but relocated and found again. How, how does that happen? Like how has the vast majority of it all been lost to history or, or how are you able to find it? And what are you finding for indigenous seeds?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. And I'm grateful that I'm um, kind of a history nerd, and so, yeah. so I do enjoy, you know, looking in old archives, looking in old manuscripts, as something that I've always enjoyed doing. And now, I'm even more grateful that I have, you know, it's not just, not just little bits of knowledge that I'm able to learn, but actually making connections and being able to locate seed and bring them home a little more than a 100 years ago, at least for my tribe. And I know there's a lot of commonalities between my tribe and other tribes, but it all depends on sort of when when we had colonizers come in or settlers come and sort of disrupt the life that our ancestors once lived. And so, you know, if we're thinking a little more than a 100 years ago, the thought was that there would no longer be any... American Indians or indigenous peoples on this continent, um, thinking that at some point we would be extinct. And that goes to, you know, even the boarding school era, which was not that long ago as well. And in some places, the world's still happening, but there were so many pieces of our culture that were taken from us or stripped from us. And that was not only our different ceremonies that we were able to perform, different objects that were sacred to us, but also our seeds. And so much of the work that we're doing is looking in these older archives, and I'm grateful there was an ethnobotanist who had visited my tribe back in 1914, and so he had made documents, had visited different Ho-Chung families made lists of different crops that they were growing, whether they were domesticated or wild plants. And then he also used the phonetic spelling for some of those crops. And so going through that document, we're able to find some of those seeds and many of them by description only. But many of my ancestral seeds had found their way into the Oscar Will Seed House. And so Oscar Will was this huge seed guy back in the, the 1920s. And through that his son had then taken those seeds, had you know grown a little bit more with them, but then he had deposited those seeds with the USDA seed bank. And so the USDA actually still continued to grow grow those seeds out on a maintenance schedule. So maybe it's once every four years or once every seven years, but those seeds continued to stay alive within the USDA's possession. And so many of those seeds were then reclaimed not only by my tribe, but so many other tribes across America where they were able to access the seeds and continue start to grow them again and getting them to the point that they can actually share those seeds with other tribal members or people within the community.
0: That is all so, A, tragic, and be fascinating that uh, you are able to find where... That is. So how close to the original or more, how close do you think the indigenous seed is to what your ancestors were growing?
2: So I have to, you know, a lot of it is having the hope, the hope that it wasn't, wasn't cross pollinated or cross contaminated with other seed. And so, you know, of course, Corn is something easy you can look at and sort of identify if there's a visitor uh, visiting pollen that had come into the field and you can, you know, remove it from your cob or remove it from your seed. But there's there's I don't know, you you kind of just have to have a lot of trust. And of course, some seeds will change over time. And that's one of the aspects that we do teach, teach the youth is that you know, we're continuing to grow these seeds every year or every other year, depending on their uh, growing cycle. But it's all about making those seeds stronger. Those seeds become more resilient every time we put them into into the earth's womb. And, you know, the seeds that continue to grow with us are just getting more and more resilient and acclimated to climate chaos. And so there are some changes that will occur over time. But, you know, for the most part, within that, is still the heart of where that seed came from.
0: And I had also read where with your, I didn't realize it had been enlarged to 30 acres, but uh, with your new purchase of land that you are installing hedges and tree barriers and things like that to try and reduce contamination from non-native seeds, how, how is that working?
2: So it's still a work in progress, Brad. The land has was previously farmed conventionally So the land has been in cover crop the last two years, or last season and this season, and we'll be beginning to plant our trees later this year. So that's really exciting. You know, it's not only to provide that sort of that windbreak for many of our indigenous seeds that we are going to be growing on that property but it's also providing that, that habitat for not only the insects and the wildlife, the birds, and then creating more biodiversity within that soil.
0: And we are getting close to the end time here for our chat. But I've got a couple last questions for you. And Hope, I'm going to throw this one to you. This is from one of our community members, Jen Hall. And she her question, I think this is perfect for you and your your storytelling as well. And she she asks, what makes you optimistic about the future when you look at what Native youth are doing out? Of-
1: well, I see the energy of the youth. I'm grateful for that. And Jen used to work at House. While, so she's a wonderful asset. Um, what makes me optimistic is that our old way of being, it nurtures the physical, emotional, spiritual and mental way of being in communication so we don't have to get overwhelmed with what the physical evidence is because Jessica's completely right and uh, stating about climate chaos and on top of that the challenges of dealing with genetically modified seed and the pesticides, herbicides and challenges that are being put into the soil. So to see the young ones being educated about this so that they they can value some of our highly nutrition, new nutrition-based foods and they can see that you have to preserve the soil and re-enrich and regenerate the soil, that that's where the food actually is. I mean, we could eat things that look like food but truly aren't food because they're so depleted. So as we educate them, as we get them thinking about this, all of it's so connected. We can't just say we're interested in a seed. We have to think about we're interested in the water that gets to the seed, the air that is connected to the seed, the organisms in the soil, as they sort of re educate or rethinking how it's all interconnected, that they can
2: bring about change on those different levels. I don't think there's anything more I could add to that. <laughs> I will just <laughs> say that <laughs> I will just say that working at Dream of Wild Health has been, you know, it's my dream job, and I'm sure hope feels the same way. It's knowing that the traditions that we've that we've carried with us, that were passed down to us, will continue to move on into the future. There are so many of our youth that are just hungry and ready to carry on those bundles of responsibility into the future. And I can't, you know, I'm always so hopeful and it's such a, it brightens up my day to be able to spend time with the youth and being able to see all of that excitement within each and every one of them, whether they're going to continue on to be a farmer or a seed keeper or working with our wild plant relatives or a chef, there's so much excitement and it, it provides me a lot of hope for the future.
0: Beautiful. So last question I've got for whomever would like to answer it is, what what action steps, what, what things would you like all Minnesotans native and non-native to to be doing um, Minnesota gardeners that is to learn and and bring us back closer to where the land was before it was colonized um,
1: i i want to speak to like intent cuz sometimes we don't see the results of our intent but the intent itself is so important if we go forward with the intent of Speaking for the trees, speaking for the soil, speaking and presenting what we can do, do the best we can every day and look for the beauty. Look for it because sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm not going to deny that. But if we look at like the babies and seeing them sprouting and seeing their ability to come forward, even though we might have a drought or we have a challenge that's going on. Who shows up? Which plants show up? Which birds show up? Those are the kinds of things that if if we can be speaking forward for them and walking forward with the intent of speaking for life, life with a capital L.
2: Brad, I just wanted to add one thing. I think it's, you know, for gardeners, I think we all carry that optimism and knowing that what we're putting, the energy we're putting into our gardens results in a fruitful harvest. And I think it's so important whether people are native, non-native, regardless of where they come from in the world, it's all about forming that relationship, just as Hope mentioned. And it's so important to think of our future generation. You know, every action and inaction we have and w- what we take in the ecosystem around us has consequences to that. And I know you can, you can best relate to that as well, Brad, knowing that you can look into the eyes of your daughters and say that you did the very best that you could to make sure that they still continue to have soil to be able to grow those foods for their own children or their grandchildren. So yeah, I think it's important to try to think think more toward the future and seeing how our actions will, you know, either leave something better or need something for our offspring to improve upon.
0: Well, Hope Flanagan and Jessica Greendeer from Dreamer Wild Health. Thank you so, so much for coming on today and just, chatting with us all and sharing the story of dream of wild health and what we can all be doing together to make the world a better place. So I really appreciate the work you're doing and appreciate you and your time here today.
2: Thank you, Brad. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. See what I mean? That was just an absolute joy of an episode. I'm so happy that you were able to hear that conversation that we had. It was just really enlightening for me and I hope it was for you as well. And if you really liked that conversation, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts as well as give us a rating and a review. You have no idea how important that is in making sure that the Minnesota gardening podcast gets found by other people. It's just, awesome. And so I thank you so much for doing that. And if you want more information about Dream of Wild Health or any of our podcast episodes, go to minnesotagardening.com and you'll see season two right at the top. Or if you're listening to this at a later date, you can search for season two and see the show notes for all of the episodes that we have here in this season, including the next one we have with Seed Saver Exchange talking about trends in seeds for 2022.